0: Hello and welcome to Mobile Interactions Now, the podcast where industry pros share first-hand experiences on making mobile interactions work. I'm Chris, and I'm part of the team here at Tentech. On today's episode, we have the conclusion of our conversation with Dr. Mark Smith. On our previous episode, Mark spoke to Gene about AI as it relates to customer experiences, as well as a few other things. In today's episode, they get more into AI as it relates to communication, and it gets really interesting. So, here is part two of our conversation with Dr. Mark Smith. Take it away, Jean.
1: In our previous episode, we started discussing how AI can remove a lot of uh, friction and and, and stress. You know, more often than not, um, I count myself as one of those people who, who get frustrated and agitated by poor service. A recent example, I'm getting annoyed by my bank back in New York that I opened an account with before I moved to Munich, and the customer service is insisting on calling me and, and or, better yet, asking me to call them back. And despite the fact that, uh, you know, time zone has changed and, and you know, write me email or message me and it's not happening. So how far along are we really to get that kind of benefit into a mainstream economy like banking in my case?
2: Very interesting question. And banking um, exposes uh, some very interesting challenges. I was with a Um, uh, an insurer actually um, a few weeks ago a a man who was um, uh, not, not dissimilar age to me sort of late 40s and he said and I quote there is software in this company which is as old as me Now, it's very difficult to understand how that can be true, and he was probably exaggerating a bit, uh, but a lot of um, uh, financial institutions, uh, the sort of core brain of what they do uh, can be uh, somewhat archaic. And if it is, the desire... And the ability of of smaller companies such as mine to actually solve their problems, there is a disconnect between those two things. If there isn't data availability in in a, in a sensible way that's presented in a you know some beautiful API to allow you know my cloud service to pick that up and fire off secure messaging to people about this, that and the other, then I can't do anything. Um, however, it is as clear as, as uh, you know, as night and day that you have to do this. Your example with a, with a bank in, in New York, and you're in a different time zone. Well, I know a bank in, in mainland Europe who did something which really was quite a surprise to me that they thought like this, and it was a huge pleasure. And they said this, if you can test the best time of day to reach people and that's a relatively simple thing to do take a ten thousand customers communicate with a thousand of them at thirty minute increments during you know acceptable hours from maybe seven in the morning till, till eight at night, and then draw a graph and see where most people are receptive then if you prove that, I will change the shift patterns of my people to match my customers. Uh, desire uh, and availability to respond. Now, that is customer service. Calling you because it happens to be two o'clock in in New York when it is a different, i am not sure my time zones are with Munich, but uh, because it's, uh, you know, you're in the pub then, maybe? I don't know, but... I mean, I'm making terrible assumptions there, but let let's say you were is not a good customer experience. Being empathetic to the fact that a a group of customers are in different time zones, and then either using automated communication because um, because that works for you, or changing the shift patterns of people. It is just got to be like that because the bank you're with has very little difference in the service from a bank in Germany or a bank in San Francisco or a bank in London. So customer service will be the differentiator. They either get on the train or their train stops.
1: A little side question, because you just mentioned automation. What would you say for people who are thinking AI is just a way to get to automation?
2: Yeah, I I, I don't have a apocalyptic view of a of a sort of dystopian future where i'm just you know fed by tubes and machines are doing everything for me or maybe have taken over the world and firing large guns at me i don't i don't think that's the way technology works um my answer to the question of of automation and the relationship between the carbon and, and the silicon the human and the machine uh, is captured rather nicely no one's ever really adequately explained this to me either By this thought, so in my country, we have the most people who have ever been employed, ever. Our population's increased, uh, which partly explains it, but we have something in the region of three and a half, four percent unemployment. Now there are some economists can be brutal people. There are some economists that argue that that is in effect zero unemployment, because there will always be a a small group of people between jobs or, or, or what have you. So, How do you explain this then? Today is the most technically advanced we have ever been, by definition. And yet, in my country, there are more people employed than there ever have been, and that's with a progressive tax system and a minimum wage. How's that happening then? Now, I've lived um, uh, quite a long time, and I've seen these sort of apocalyptic views of what technology is going to do, robots in the car industry, you know, AI in in medicine, all this kind of stuff. Well, it's not happened, right? It didn't happen. It changed. People started doing different things. But people should be used where people are best and machines used where machines are best. You know, to be honest, I'd rather my car was made by a machine, not some guy on a Friday afternoon who's not feeling so well. Right? So there, there are moments where automation is absolutely fine, and there are, and there will always it will always be a synergistic uh, relationship between the machine and the human.
1: Okay, with that bright picture, let's let's try to help businesses to get started a little bit. You mentioned looking at a transactional level. Um, versus um, uh, differently. So is there something of a a good indicator how ready you are to embark on integrating AI into their customer experience? Uh,
2: Companies certainly seem to be... um open uh to to to, to doing this I, I think i i'm fearful sometimes that there are a lot of um uh sort of mid-sized vendors that that will um i've come across this quite often where a company will say well i've got this magic widget that can do these things and uh, and i'll say well oh, can i can i see your magic widget can i just test the magic widget out please and they said yeah of course you can all you need to do is sign this contract for um my most recent one for a fairly ordinary piece of software was about a quarter of a million quid a year. When I'd stopped laughing, I then said, you know, the bit I said about testing this out and seeing if it works or not, that's what I actually want to do. So I, I think for, for corporates, uh, they need to, they need to make several decisions. They need to, they, they need to sort their data out. There have been, I can remember one occasion with a large travel firm that's, um, uh, in the UK, who's um, uh, in in something of a mess? Who, after two hours, I stood up and said, "I can't help you because I didn't have a CRM system. So, how can I communicate with people when you can't communicate with people?" So I gave up there. So they're going to get their data in some kind of order, but even that can be dealt with because um, companies can take data from different um, different silos and bring it together, and then it's just test test to see if it works. Take a control group, take another group and see if the use of that piece of software, whether it's mine or somebody else's, actually makes a difference. Prove that difference. That then tends to lead to the justification for doing something. We just picked up a contract uh, yesterday for several million dollars a year, where we spent the last six months just proving again and again and again against control groups that we are delivering uh, 10 15% delta improvements in in a process, which is delivering 50, 60, 70, 80 million dollars of savings. And, uh, and that's the way to do it. So they started cynical, they then became disbelieving. We then proved it, they then said, Okay, you've won. That's what they need to do. And, and people like us are speedboats as well, which is helpful because we can do whatever we want immediately.
1: So it sounds like they don't necessarily have to have a single view
2: of the customer just yet Uh, no you can you can you can have a sort of um uh, a point solution so one of the things we did with a a bank recently was around um uh, an upsell conversation after a successful mortgage application so basically asking people uh sympathetically because it's not a monopoly position asking people after they've got their mortgage with bank x um you know would you like to take buildings and contents insurance with us so that's a very discreet subset of, of the bank, which is eminently available to us because by completing a loan application form, you've got the money, you've got the contact details, and you've got the permissions to do it. So you don't need to to boil the ocean, eat the elephants in one go—all those hideous phrases. You just—why um, would anyone eat an elephant anyway? Um, or you just need to demonstrate a uh, a small piece of uh, of your customer base to deliver something exciting and then say look at the implications of this across the piece and then you justify your existence
1: let me just try to capture that um because of what you just talked about it, it is sort of knowing your uh short go- uh short-term goals that you can realistically achieve versus maybe a more long-term destination you can get to so can you Can you just help us frame those two things so that we can try to understand and and help the motivation internally?
2: Um, I'm trying to think of a decent analogy for this. I I suppose um, drug discovery is not a bad one so um uh, most pharmaceutical companies will will spend an enormous amount of time testing uh principles out, and it takes a long time to do that <coughs> and can be very expensive um uh, but at the end of the day they end up with a product that they can sell so it starts with um some simple experimentation um the experimentation goes to bigger sample sizes, bigger groups it goes through regulatory hurdles it goes through um uh, further r and d further refinement uh different um Uh, models of efficacy different animal testing perhaps if that's still done which i fear it might be until such time as a as as a uh, a a drug is then available to make people better now the same sort of approach applies with uh, with with so-called new technology i mean one would argue that ai has existed in principle for about 75 years actually Um, so start start small test principle see if it works Roll out more, see if it works, test principle, move towards the product at the end that delivers the benefits.
1: And this is going to be my last question. And I, I want to shift the focus uh, from the consumer's point of view. Do we know anything about how they are deciding what they prefer, prefer to use? You know, is it privacy, security, whatever? Well, what What do they really care about?
2: Uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, one of the things that, that I found most fascinating about, about my career is I, I'm old enough to have begun working in an organization where I had a typing pool. And, uh, and I'm not joking. I used to have a, a dictaphone which is a small plastic uh, uh, rectangle with some tape in it. And I used to speak into this thing and my, my words would be magically recorded and then placed in an envelope and a, and a man called Frank would uh, would take that and he would move it to a, a typing pool and maybe 48 hours later, I'd get back a piece of paper, which I'd correct. And another day later, I get that back and then I have to find an envelope and a stamp and I'll put it in the post crust. This is not that long ago, right? This is 25, 27 years ago and that's not that long ago uh so uh 25 27 years ago your means of communication were pretty much um uh, letter and phone call email early uh, but i can i'm also old enough to remember in my late 20s when um i asked a group of well-paid chemical engineers in a room how many of them had email addresses and uh, two hands went up so so it was slow, it's slow progress, you know, the, the postal system, 200 years, you know, telephony, 100 years, um, email, maybe, um, maybe 30, something like that, text messaging, sort of 25-ish. And then now it's gone boom. So you have hundreds of instant messenger platforms you 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 have people using um uh, communication methodologies that that you know are almost unbelievable you have thousands of different channels if you choose to dictate terms to your customer then that is wrong it's not just the app it's not just email it's not just a phone call it's not just a text message it's not just whatsapp or facebook messenger nor should it be i'll come back to that one day but nor should it be it's not just alexa or google home etc 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 it's arguably all of those and then you can do one of two things you can god forbid ask the customer which channel they would prefer Not very hard. Why not do that? Or you cycle across the channels, which is what we do, until such time as they respond on one. And then we carry on the conversation on that channel until such time as they choose to tell us that they don't want to communicate on that channel. Or we can do some really interesting things with language, this is lovely, where someone will have opted in for, say, a text message conversation, and uh, we communicate in any language, of course, and then we we write to them in English and they respond to us in, say, Spanish we can recognize that, go back to them and say, would you like future communicate? And we'd say in Spanish, would you like future communication to be in Spanish? And if they come back and say, see, sí, presumably, uh, then we, <laughs> he's like, right? And then <laughs> Englishman displays terrible language knowledge. Um, then, uh, then we can carry on that conversation in that language. So it's all about customer preference. Either ask them or cycle across until such time as you discover. And if you do that, people will be happy.
1: Awesome. And, and I thank you for that. But before I let you go, I just have a one little fun we have with uh, our guests. And I get to ask, what are the three things that you use the most on your phone? And and be quite honest here.
2: Right. Among, okay.
1: Amongst friends.
2: Okay. Uh, I'm... Right. Lots of layers of answers to this. So I'll give you a straightforward answer to start with. Music, right? That's the most important thing to me. I spend vast amounts of time listening to uh, um, uh, certain types of music very loudly to annoy people on trains. So music first. I'm afraid next up is email. Okay, I'm a I'm a great believer in in correspondence that has more than a few characters. I think uh, well articulated arguments normally take a few sentences. So email is very important to me. Um, and then I actually quite like voice. I quite like it. Is said uh, that um, listening to someone speak, eighty percent of the information that a human understands is not the words they've said. So that can be uh the, the the there's a word called prosody which is all the sort of underlying subtlety in voice. I'm doing it now. I'm slightly slowing down, I'll slightly accelerate, I'll change the volume and pitch and tone, and you can tell tiredness in voice and you can tell happiness in voice. Salespeople are told when they speak on the phone to smile when they talk because humans can tell if someone's smiling when they speak they really can right so there's all sorts of value in voice that i find uh, um uh, tremendously helpful so it's those three things i don't do social media i have i have all the accounts very early on in all social platforms i'm just not very social
1: yeah but you're a heavy user of, of communications tools obviously yes. email and yes. voice so there you go just simply awesome i thank you
2: pleasure
0: thank you again to dr mark smith for joining us today and on our previous episode you can find out more about dr smith and contact engine at contactengine.com to find out more about gene and Tintech, visit Tintech.com. make sure to search for mobile interactions now in apple podcasts google play stitcher or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes so on behalf of the team here at Tintech, thanks for listening